With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Doug Gottlieb, welcome into All Ball. That's All Ball, Rev. That's kind of the idea behind it. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, here's what we're going to do on this podcast. I appreciate you downloading it. Of course, being a great part of the Herd Podcast Network. And we'll do college basketball, do NBA basketball. We'll do that kind of curious place for college and NBA basketball mesh. Might do a little recruiting as well once we get past the NCAA tournament. Uh, we're not yet going to focus on the NBA. I know there's big news with the broken wrist that Clay Thompson has suffered, and I'll just give you kind of my quick thoughts. I've, I have said this because I've been a fan of the NBA far long before I ever got a chance to work out for NBA teams. If you look at when dynasties come to an end or when teams lose, it's injury is usually, usually what happens first. It's not as much who's better, it's who's healthy. It happened to the Lakers uh, several times. Well, Byron Scott gets hurt back when they had won back-to-back championships. Uh, you go to when the Lakers had won three in a row with Shaq and Kobe. Shaq and Kobe obviously were beefing, but there was also injuries. Carl Malone got hurt. I think Rick Fox got hurt as well, and they lost to the Detroit Pistons. Pistons might want to remember it a different way because they won four in a row after losing the first game. But the truth is that the Lakers, even though they were a dysfunctional mess, they, the series would have been much more competitive if the second all-time leading scorer in NBA history was healthy. So the Clay Thompson injury is big. I, I, we don't know at this point if he'll be out for the playoffs and if it's his wrist, and I think it's his right hand, his shooting wrist. Like Not just that, but when he comes back, how much will he have gotten a chance to shoot and how sharp will he be? And so you look at Houston, which I do think has closed the gap somewhat. 
Now you start to think of where does Golden State fall in seeds. Steph Curry's ankle's been an issue all year. And from the great videos of Steph Curry's 30th birthday party where Mike Brown and, and Steve Kerr were getting after it to now, wow, that's a, that's, a, that's a seed change really in the Western Conference if Clay Thompson's not healthy for the playoffs. Huge. Eastern Conference, you got LeBron. He keeps putting up numbers, but his team lacks another playmaker. And so while I don't know about Clay. And I don't know if the Celtics will be healthy. And no one believes that the Raptors are at the level of the Rockets in terms of taking down the best teams. The fact is, last year we had the Cavaliers playing 13 games and the Warriors playing the minimum 12 games to get to the NBA Finals. At minimum, this year we'll have much better, much more competitive playoffs. And if Clay ain't healthy, I think Houston's winning that one. And uh, I'm, I'm fascinated to see with the Cavs because they have only one playmaker and that's LeBron, and adding in Kevin Love might add some offense, but it hurts them defensively and still doesn't give them an additional playmaker. But that's We'll talk about the NBA. I have a big board that's coming out on The Athletic. We'll, we'll go through the big board. We'll talk NBA draft stuff once you guys get a chance to see everybody play in the NCAA tournament this first weekend. But college basketball is front and center, and there's a couple different parts to it. I, I don't think that... If you're listening to this podcast, you're probably a pretty good big basketball fan, right? I wouldn't download all ball Doug Gottlieb's pod, podcast unless I was a hoop fan. And so I think hoop fans, we do need to unite. We're not doing a good job here. We're just not. We're allowing people that – I understand in basketball, everybody wants to get paid. Everybody wants to get to the league. But this idea of none and done, it's going to hurt the NBA again like it did when they had the none and done. And it's going to hurt college basketball. One of the things that so many people forget is, or don't realize, the second they open it up and say, hey, we're going to advise you, and you can go back to college if you go undrafted, the second, the first couple of years of it, you're going to see 20, 30 kids, maybe more, declare for the NBA and go to the G League. They're going to have bad experiences. They're going to not have a college degree to fall back on. And at the time, they're not going to care because they're going to think, yo, man, I put in a year in the G League, two years in the G League, and I'm going to come out in the NBA. And what we in the media will focus on is the one or two great stories of guys that were under-regarded and that grinded through the G League and made it and became multi-multi-multi-millionaires. But in their wake will be hundreds of other kids that don't make it and that don't get a degree. We're doing a bad job of protecting the sport from people who aren't in the sport for the sport. They're in the sport to get paid. That's it. The reason the one-and-done exists is not two-and-done or three-and-done is because agents wanted because agents want guys to come out as soon as possible so they can get to that second contract go back and read steve kerr's column he steve kerr's a player but he was also former general manager and he would tell you like those guys aren't ready they're not ready emotionally they're not ready players wise even now in the nba if you want to tank what's the best way to tank player younger players because they're not good enough to win with right so i don't think we're protecting the sport from people outside the sport uh, from from people outside the sport or people who are just simply think the sport is about making money. You, you, you have better players. You have a better product, both the college and the pro game, the longer the kids stay in. And th- it doesn't mean they're all – that they all become great students. It doesn't mean they all end up, uh, you know, totally understanding what it's like to be a part of a team. But, like, look, I think it should be two years in college and then go. Uh, frankly, I should think it should be three. It helps – it helps the NBA because it builds up your brand through three NCAA tournaments. It helps college basketball because we're getting ready for the NCAA tournament, and 
unless you're into it like I'm into it. I say the name Keenan Evans. You ever heard of him from Texas Tech? I go through a list of names which you've never heard of. And you're going to learn about them if they win a tournament game. Whereas you go back 20 years ago and we remember this guy was in the tournament this year. This guy was in the tournament last year. It wasn't a one-and-done scenario. So I, I'm, I, I don't think people understand the unintended consequences of opening it up to kids coming straight out of high school. Because even if you tell them, hey, you're going to be in the G League and the G League sucks. I play minor league basketball. When I say it sucks... I don't mean it's the worst basketball I've ever experienced. It's just not, for an 18, 19-year-old kid, it's not a great environment. You're in a place, you're in a, in a foreign city, you don't have the greatest, you don't have the facilities you have in college, you don't have the coaching you have in college in terms of development, you don't have the personal development of being around people your age, and you're surrounded by guys that they don't, they're not teammates. You're, you play in minor league basketball for one purpose, and that's to make it to the NBA. And so guys are out for their numbers. They're out to prove themselves. Uh, whereas when you play in college basketball, all those things are part of it, but you're also playing as part of a team, playing for your school, playing with your boys, you're around women your own age. You need that time in between high school and the pros to develop. And I think the NBA needs it to weed out guys that are pretenders or are contenders to be NBA players. I'm, I'm staunchly against it, and we can go into it a lot at a later date. Uh, let me give you a couple thoughts on the NCAA tournament. I'll tell you what's coming up. Okay, Brian Snow is going to join us. He's a recruiting guru, a, a, a college basketball savant from 24-7 Sports. He lives in Cincinnati. I'm going to call on him with Cincinnati and Xavier and figure out. And he's got some other thoughts in college basketball. But how good are those two teams? One's a one seed, one's a two seed. The Queen City, is. Uh, will they get a team back in the Final Four? Haven't been in since uh, Huggy Bear put that team in Minnesota in the early 90s when Duke won back-to-back championships, right? That's the last time I think Cincinnati was in the Final Four. Uh, we're going to have on John Crispin, who covers the Big Ten for the Big Ten Network, also for Westwood One. He covers the entire country in uh, college basketball. He'll be their studio analyst. And then Casey Jacobson works at Fox Sports One. He um, covers the Pac-12, Big Ten, Big East. He t- talks some ball there, as well as the Chimezi Metu story, who decided to not play in the NIT because he doesn't want to get hurt for his NBA draft prep. So as we get ready for the NCAA tournament, look, I, I call on these. I, I remember back, I played in three of these tournaments. I've been to 20 of them. Been to like 15 Final Fours as a broadcaster, probably another 10 as a fan. And each one of them has its own kind of just distinct memory. What's going to be interesting is, obviously the Virginia injury to DeAndre Hunter Makes you think, wait a second, how this is a versatile player. This is a kid that, though he only averaged nine and a half, ten points a game, four rebounds a game, he's only playing half the game. You prorate those stats to playing three quarters of the game, and now he's a 13 and six sort of guy. Plus, he's versatile. He allowed them to play a big and a small lineup, guard multiple positions. He's a different type of Wahoo athlete. So maybe Dikite becomes more of a stretch player than he has been and allows them to show greater versatility. We still have Jack Salt inside. I love that name. And, you know, Ty Jerome is still a big shot maker. So I wouldn't I wouldn't cancel Christmas if I was Virginia. But, boy, for Virginia to two years ago be right at the doorstep of the Final Four, then gag it away to Syracuse, and now you finally get a one seed. You win the ACC. You win the ACC tournament. You go cruising in, and you got – either Arizona or Kentucky potentially ahead of you in the Sweet 16, but both teams that would struggle against your style. To lose DeAndre Hunter changes things dramatically. 
Um, but wh- when I say we need to unite for this sport, like between the the way in which college basketball is covered, and I, part of it I blame on us, the media. We focus on the negative. Who got snubbed? Part of it is I blame on the coaches. John Calipari gets a five seed. He's bitching about it. Part of it is, in all candor, look, the NCAA allowing, having Turner broadcast the event, Turner and CBS, and Turner uses some great players and some guys. They know basketball, but it's really hard to parachute in and cover college basketball when you haven't been doing it all year. And so you're not necessarily as synonymous with the sport. I don't know. I just kind of feel like between the fact that everybody can is kind of the same, because players don't stay long enough, many fans can't name players even on their favorite teams until the NCAA tournament. Um, you factor in the FBI investigation and some of the other NCAA investigations that are currently taking place. And this is just kind of a weird NCAA tournament that is being overshadowed by NFL free agency, of all things. Like, who ever cared about NFL free agency in regards to the NCAA tournament? And we already have UCLA out. Indiana's not in. We'll see what happens with Kentucky. Kansas did get a one seed, but it's not the most talented Kansas team. Duke, a lot of people aren't picking to to go far yet. I mean, they have a very young, very thin roster. Will people watch a cable broadcast of the Final Four with all the other allegations taking place, the FBI stuff and the thought that everybody's cheating, even though they're not, and without Blue Bloods in the Final Four? It's going to be fascinating to watch. I still think that my, my default is the best teams are the best teams for a reason. Duke, Michigan State, Michigan, Villanova, more so even than Xavier, who we're going to talk about a bunch on this podcast because everybody's seen them now. They're talented, but they haven't played their best basketball. Uh, I think Arizona is wildly underseeded. And I'm fascinated to see what happens with Virginia. Interested to see what happens with Cincinnati, finally getting a two-seed and telling people they can score more, but they, they don't really score it all that much better. So who survives? We'll talk to some of our guests upcoming, and I'll give you some of my thoughts. In regards to some of the coaching changes, Tubby Smith is out at Memphis, and uh, I'm, I'm pro-Penny. I'm anti-firing Tubby. I just think it's insane. It's his second year. They had to strip the program down. When you make a coaching change now, all your recruits leave. That's what happened with Josh Pastner. They weren't in a great place when Josh was there. He leaves, gets the Georgia Tech job. So they, they lose you know, their incoming class. And a team that was picked ninth in the AAC finishes fifth in the AAC. They win 21 games with mostly junior college players. And they just, you know, Tubby was brought in there to stabilize it for three to five years. Two years in, they're going to pay him $9.5 million to not coach. That's just, I, I don't think that's the way in which you handle business. That said, I love the idea of Penny Hardaway, a legendary figure in Memphis. If he surrounds himself with a great staff, like, look, Penny knows ball. He'll have somebody else teach him how to be a college basketball coach. Meanwhile, he can be a great mentor to kids in Memphis. The one cautionary tale is Josh Pastner recruited Memphis kids. That's a tough deal. John Calipari, when he started winning, when he was really winning, he wasn't doing it with Memphis kids. So the thought is you bring in Penny Hardaway, you get everybody from Memphis all about Memphis. That sounds like a good idea, but there's a law of unintended consequences when sometimes it becomes conflicting alliances, and historically conflicting alliances, isn't that what led to World War One? If I remember learning that in history, I do remember learning that in history. Um, the Sean Miller watch: Does he stay at Arizona? They have no recruiting class as of now. Can he go anywhere else? Does he go to the NBA? 
You have UConn now, a job that's, that's open. You, I mean, the UConn's won four national titles in the last 25 years. That's crazy. Four national titles. That's basketball royalty. But they have fallen on hard times, and now they have to get rid of one of their great all-time players. And do they bring in Danny Hurley? And does Danny Hurley, is that the job that he wants? Louisville has yet to come open. It's still David Padgett's job, but eventually that comes open. So the coaching carousel will be in full swing. Um, and it, it looks like and Thad Mata's not going to take Georgia. So Thad Mata, Tom Crean, still out there as former head coaches with great resumes. But usually when jobs haven't closed yet, like a Louisville hasn't, it means they're waiting for somebody who's still coaching to possibly be their next head coach. See what happens with Pittsburgh as well. A job that you, know, you look at the – Look at what Jamie Dixon did when he was there and what, ha- what happened in the two years since he left. And all of a sudden, the Pittsburgh folks that wanted him run out of town would, uh, would send a plane right now to bring him back. And then some preliminary thoughts on the NCAA tournament. Sometimes we use conference narratives to make it seem like that's why. We, like the Big 12 is a really competitive conference. I don't think it's a great league. I don't think there's a team that can will get to the Final Four out of the Big 12. I, I just... Maybe Kansas, maybe that would be Bill Self's greatest coaching job ever. We make this mistake of depth of conference means quality of conference teams, and that's not the case. The Big East is deep, and there's two really good teams at the top of the Big East, but the Big East is not going to help Creighton against Kansas State. Creighton has to help Creighton against Kansas State, and Creighton's not the same since they lost their power forward. The Big 12 got six teams in, and many people believe that Oklahoma State or Baylor should have gotten in. They only get six in. That's not going to help any of those teams. Six out of ten is not going to help Oklahoma beat Rhode Island. Not going to help K-State beat Creighton or West Virginia, you know, not go stale offensively and win games. So I like those top three teams in the Big Ten to go far. I like the top two teams in the Big East to go far. Um, I like two of the top three in the ACC to go far. I like Arizona to go far. I just think the best teams are the best teams. And that may sound like the biggest BS statement of all time, but I think it's true. Uh, I like Texas Tech to come out of that Dallas regional because it's playing at home. They got Zach Smith back healthy at the end of the year. Keenan Evans is now healthy. And when you on one day's notice, one day's rest, Florida who has to they get short prep to prepare for St. Bonaventure. Whoever wins that one's got one day to prepare for Texas Tech and their motion offense. That's really hard. Now, I don't know if Texas Tech can survive Stephen F. Austin, who plays full court, kind of ball-to-the-wall pressure, that Brad Underwood style, which you go back and watch in the in a Big 12 tournament. Who did Texas Tech lose to? Same kind of style against West Virginia, but I don't think that Stephen F.'s personnel is as good, obviously, as West Virginia's. I'm intri- I, I, like tech, I like Texas Tech. Again, another team we liked in the non-conference to come back around. I'm surprised, maybe blown away, that Trey Young is not at least a Naismith Award finalist. It doesn't mean he was going to win it. I'd have Jalen Brunson winning it. But you lead the country in scoring and assists, and you're not a finalist? Granted, he hasn't shot a good percentage. They've fallen on hard times. Probably shouldn't have gotten into the NCAA tournament. But Trey Young had a pretty good year, and he carried that team until they collapsed. So I, I think we're being a little bit overly harsh in terms of our, our assessment of Trey Young. And then... Like, look, if you're looking for Cinderella's, I think you have to be healthy. Otherwise, I would have liked Nevada, but they lost Lindsey Drew. I think San Diego State's a team that underachieved most of the year, started to figure it out. Um, St. Bonaventure, a team that 
you don't win as many games in a row as St. Bonaventure won without being kind of a, a special team. These enigmatic up-and-down teams, I'm not necessarily nearly as good with. And then South Dakota State's a team that all of us have had our eyes on. They probably should have beaten Wichita State at Wichita State. And I think uh, that Mike Dom, the dominator, I think they'll take down Ohio State. Right? So those are and, – and the other one is I, I kind of like Providence against North Carolina if Providence can get out of their first-round game. I like Nevada to beat Texas. That will be deemed an upset by some. Even though they don't have Lindsey Drew, the way to beat Nevada is the pressure there. Uh, with that in mind, let's get to some of our special guests who join us now on All Ball. All right, so we welcome in Brian Snow, 24-7 Sports. Uh, Brian, let's uh, let's start. I want to start kind of in your – right in your wheelhouse, right? You live in Cincinnati. You've seen these two teams. And I, and, and we'll get to the bracket in a second. But let's – Let's start with uh, let's start with Xavier. They're a one seed, and I know they have a lot of talent. And I know Chris Mack last year when things were going to hell in a handbasket, somehow they they get all the way to the Elite Eight. So maybe I'm holding them to too high a standard, but there's just there's something missing to where it hasn't yet clicked yet, and I I can't figure out exactly what it is. I know the the wins and the Big East championship would tell you that I'm wrong. What are your what's your assessment of Xavier heading into the tournament? I think they're an interesting case because what you have is you have a veteran team led by two guys in Trayvon Blewett and J.T. Matura, who, with all due respect to everything, they're both in school, especially Trayvon, to get to a Final Four. And, you know, everything else that came with it this year, I think was a function of them just being really good. But I don't know that this was a completely focused team because the goal was always Trayvon came back to do two things get to number two on the scoring list in Xavier history, and get to a Final Four. So now I think you're going to see a lot more focused team in the tournament. It's just when you have such a veteran team like they are, I don't think they get tied up in the game-to-game, day-to-day, and it might drive Chris Mack crazy at times when they get up by 12 and stop defending anybody. But I think that's something that probably changes a little bit in the tournament now that they're, they're playing in the game that they came back to play in. And I do think that'll be interesting to see if my theory is correct. Uh, uh, that, that'd be fascinating to see. You know, look, some, sometimes we have a tendency in our business, I think fans especially do this, where they're too results-oriented, right? Where you sit there and you're like, yeah, but Xavier lost to Providence. Okay, Trayvon Blewett makes a layup. They're up four games over, right? J.P. Yeah. Mercura passes the ball on a three-on-one instead of charges um, against Kyron Cartwright. You know, they win the game. They're up three games over. But in, instead, those two things didn't happen, and so we're left with, well, maybe Providence is better than we think. Maybe Xavier's not as good as we think. I'm with you. I, I think they're really close. I guess the thing is, I watch them, and I'm like, they have yet to play their best basketball. There's, and maybe they walk away from the season losing and not having played their best basketball. I do think they have better basketball in them. Is that a, is that a fair assessment? Yeah, that, that's really where I am on them. I think they're really good to begin with just because I think one through nine, there might not be a roster that loses as little at, from one to nine as theirs in the country. So they've won just on sheer talent and coaching and, and you know, that. But I do think you haven't seen really an A game this year. Yeah. I guess even, like, the first half of Seton Hall, they're up by, like, 100. And then they just stopped playing in the second half. And they still won by 12, but they just stopped. So it's like you've seen the flashes for 20 minutes of them playing their best ball, but not a full game. Brian Snow joining us on uh, All Ball Podcast here. Uh, I'm Doug Gottlieb. Okay, so um, 
let's get to Cincinnati. So I saw Cincinnati in the American Athletic Conference Championship. I want to talk to you about the American in a second. Um, and, you know, like, look, I've called their NCAA tournament games, and you just kind of change out the nameplates. They're kind of the same, right? I mean, but you have Kyle Washington, who he, he's, he, he's kind of mechanical, but he can shoot the three, score a little bit inside, pretty good rim protector. And then you have their, you know, you have their two studs, and um, and and then you know what else is there really on this team in terms of I, I'm told their offensive firepower is a lot better. You got Gary Clark, who's a just a really good all-around player. Doesn't do anything terribly. He can make an open three. He can post up a little bit. You got Jacob Evans, who's more of a mid-range guy, and then you got Jaron Cumberland, who's kind of like an undersized four who can play out in the wing for him and can you know can can score pretty much anywhere on the court, but there's no one place in which he's great. He's just good. They just have four really good basketball players. But that's when it kind of gets a little fuzzy for me because Kane Broom is a low-major, mid-major combo guard who turns it over and is a high-volume guy, and I think he, he drives Mick crazy because he's, he's kind of so schizophrenic. So he starts Justin Jennifer, who's just kind of a ball mover, good athlete, good defender, can make a layup. And then there's just a massive drop-off because they're just such youth. Four scores is more than most anybody in college basketball has, but they're not like four score scores. They're four guys that can put the ball in the basket. And I just I, I fear that everything kind of gets muddled and they get into a slugfest with an inferior team and they get popped earlier than they should. Is that a crazy assessment of what Cincinnati ultimately will, will become? You know, I actually have them going to the Elite Eight because I think the, the bracket sets up well for them. But to me, if you look at like – Nevada is a team that really would concern me as a, you know if I was a Cincinnati fan because Cincinnati's so solid defensively but at the end of the day if a team makes shots a team makes shots right there's really not a whole ton you can do about it and Nevada's that type of team and can you see match without a consistent point guard as you said a team who's really making shots especially threes I don't see that now I think you see so solid and Gary Clark's such a good player just so many different things that they, they can make a run. But to me, it comes down to Jacob Evans. Is he going to have that alpha dog personality, which he's shown at times this year, yeah. but he's never really been that dude. Well, I, like, I, he should be that dude, I, but he's I, not right I, now. Can I would he be that in the tournament? I would tell you that Nevada, they're not the same since they lost Lindsey Drew. And my, my thought in trying to fill out that bracket was that Cincinnati is going to look at the San Diego State tape and say, well, how'd they undress them? at, at uh, Viejas, how'd they beat them again in Las Vegas? And it was just pressure, ball pressure. The, the, the Martin, Cody and Caleb Martin are really good players, really good players. They're just not point guards. They're more like three, four men, right? I mean, Jordan Caroline's a post. So they, don't, they can all score and they can shoot, but the pressure is really going to bother them. And no, Cincinnati's not a full-court pressure team, but I just think they're going to get into them defensively and, and they'll get too many – you know, run out home run plays. I'm with you. If you make shots, I'm not buying the Cincinnati so much better offensively. I just struggle with that bracket finding the team that, that takes down Cincinnati. All right, let's let's get to a couple other things um, around the country. Um, let's start with the American Conference because I think it's fascinating. It feels like Tubby is going to be fired, although he has not been fired yet. UConn's already made a change. Now, Cincinnati's been the dominant team, and they're the one team that they took the high major players from the Big East. They come to this conference, and they, they keep on continuing on. Right? They're the ones that have kind of stabilized things, although if I'm Mick, 
I may say, hey, this is the year I get out, you know, losing two great seniors. Um, but am I, am I wrong to think that the American is, is killing UConn and is killing Memphis? Memphis, the opposite of UConn. Memphis, the league is better than the one they used to be in, and they're not nearly as good, obviously, since, since Cal left. And UConn, like, look, you can't get people to drive from Hartford or to drive from uh, Avon or whatever in Connecticut to go to stores to see them play, you know, East, East Carolina or Tulane or Central Florida, and they're going to have trouble. If they, even if they get Danny Hurley in, in landing the type of players they've landed previously and creating the excitement they've cre- had previously because of their conference through no fault of the conference on its own. Yeah, I mean, I think there's certainly something to that. But I will say, you know, Kevin Ollie's he managed to get guys like Altariq Gilbert, Jalen Adams. Like, he – now, it's still not going to be what it was under Jim Calhoun, but I still think you can recruit to UConn. Now, the problem is, will you have the same support as UConn or same support financially that you had when they were a Big East team? Right. I don't know. What's the football aspect? You know, it's certainly not making money. I don't know how much it's losing, but I'm pretty darn sure it's not making money. And are they putting more time and resources from an administration perspective into trying to make football better? I I think there's so much about that job that has changed in the last 15 years, and it's all come to a head. Another interesting thing about the American, it's thriving in football because they're hiring young up-and-coming coaches, Scott Frost, you know, uh, guy who just left for Oregon from South Florida, Willie Taggart. Taggart. You know, they're hiring young up-and-coming guys as coaches. Whereas on the basketball side, it's all retracts. Yeah. It's all older guys who have been fired, which I find interesting that ADs are seeing a certain formula work in one sport and going away from it in another sport where a lot of those programs are actually taking a dip down. That's, that's actually very interesting. Now, look, Kelvin Sampson's a retread, but one that's been really good at, at Houston. Uh, obviously, Mick was already there, um, but Tubby's a retread. Uh, Johnny Dawkins is a retread. Mike Dunleavy, who I think done, uh, Mike Dunleavy's done a decent job in trying to stabilize Tulane, but you know he, he hadn't even coached in college basketball. But an older name as opposed to a young, energetic guy. I think it's a, I think it's a great point. I do think it's it, the sports are different in that you know the names of coaches have a tendency to get the attention of recruits for whatever reason, right? It, it does tend to work out that way. But I, that's that's going to be interesting to see what happens at ECU, what happens at UConn. What happens at Memphis? Is it Memphis going, you know, I don't know, young and up-and-comer? Do you think the Penny thing will work? He ha- he better hire a staff that has experience in college basketball. And it's not even like the X and O thing. I don't know. Penny might be some genius in X and O. I'm not even saying he is. Or is but there's so much more to being a head coach than can you draw up a play. It's, you know, time management, media you know, discipline issues, everything that comes with being a head coach. And you need someone who at least has experience in that realm, even if it wasn't as a head coach, but as a college basketball coach who's seen someone do it. And will he hire that staff or will he hire his boys that, you know, he's known forever to try to help him recruit? Because yeah, I, I, unless I think, you know what a head coach is doing, it, it's tough. Well, so, okay, I'll just uh, – uh, what's interesting is, like, the, the game plan that he's that we think he's laying out there is kind of the game plan that I was laying out there for any of the jobs in which I've talked to people about, which is like you know you have to know enough about what you don't know, you know, and 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 hire people that do. I don't I don't know if you can hire Larry Brown. It's a great name. There's you know there's like ten big names out there, and you know, or good. You know I was 
there was there was two guys that I liked, uh, um, and it wasn't because I have great longstanding relationships with them. It's actually I, I actually operate the opposite way, whereas I want people to question me and to push me. So when I I thought about Todd Licklider, who's uh, with the Celtics in their organization, and Paul Hewitt, and both have been successful. Both are a little bit of different styles of personality, definitely different than my own. And I would have tried to bring them both on. But I agree with you. you got to – I I know if you're for real in trying to win in this thing based upon who you're willing to hire. Are you willing to go get guys who – look, they, they've, they've achieved more in this thing that you can, than you can ever have dreamed of achieving. They know you got to have an old head with you, and you got to have some experience. But, okay, let's say he puts together that dream staff. The, the, the interesting thing about Memphis is – when they were winning with John and John Calipari was there, they weren't doing it with Memphis guys, right? They they did it with guys for the most part outside of Memphis. It's like it's a weird city. It's there's so much talent locally, but you know if you bring one guy, well, somebody's boys might not like that guy, and then they may decide to both come together. But you know the in the fighting between the families or the friends. And then the need to get out of college and get to the NBA and play right away. You don't get the same buy-in level from the parents or from the associates with the coach. Like it's all, it's, Sometimes it's better to recruit guys from out of the area so that you don't have their people always around at every practice and every game. I guess th- that's, that's, is Penny a big enough personality to tell kids from Memphis, hey, you're going to come play for me, but you're going to have to not listen to them. You have to listen to me if you ultimately want to be successful. So you have to really figure out how to make these people tick. And I don't know if there's any way to know that before it happens. Yeah. And like you said, Memphis is unique because kids who are friends won't like playing with each other. Yeah. Like there's stories of Penny getting to like people just being jealous of Penny when he was a player, even though he was a great teammate, and like getting into fights with him in the locker room. All right. Uh, you, you mentioned the Pac-12 uh, when we were getting ready to record this and all the, the – the interesting things going on in the Pac-12. Uh, ex- expand on that, if you would. Yeah, I mean, the first thing, you know, I was in Vegas this weekend at the Pac-12 tournament. And I'll be honest, like, it was actually a better atmosphere than I expected. But I still, like, the quality of play really was lower than I was anticipating. And I watch a lot of Pac-12 basketball. I knew it wasn't the Big 12. But I was just shocked. I'm like, there's talented players out there. And for whatever reason, it's not clicking with this this league in general. Like, you look at it, we saw UCLA just melt down down the stretch last night. They took Arizona to overtime. And Aaron Holiday didn't even play well in that game. So I just come out of it like, what's going on in this league that, and I know you're more familiar with it, Doug, that, you know, you got a name brand like Arizona that's in turmoil. UCLA, excuse me, USC is kind of in their own issue. UCLA is going to have major defections like, what is the future of the Pac-12 right now? Well, I, I'll, I'll run through it for you. I mean, like, look, USC, you take out DeAnthony Melton and, and Benny Boatwright from the team. Like, those are their two, you know, along with Chimezi Metu, who says he doesn't want to play in the NIT for fear of injury, which I think is, frankly, bullshit. But um, uh, you, you look at it, and you're like, oh, USC was supposed to be one of the two or three best teams in the league, and they end up being it even though they didn't have their two best NBA prospects. Um, Arizona is everything we've always seen from Sean Miller, right? Like, incredibly athletic. They get after you defensively, but, man, you just fear that they don't have the offense uh, for this thing. UCLA, this is a transition year. 
like a super young team, and they lost their depth with what happened to China. Uh, but you kind of you have a weird roster that's that's made up of of upperclassmen that don't like you know Aaron Holiday doesn't want to be there, and uh, you know Thomas Welsh and Prince Ali who's been there and uh, Gorgi Goleman. I mean, look, dude, they're they're playing Alex Olashinsky, uh, who I mean. He should be a walk-on at UCLA, and yet he's getting major minutes because the young guys are just so young. I do feel like, you know, barring him trying to get, you know, the Louisville job or get out of there, get the pit job or something, and press refresh, I think they'll be okay. I think they'll be better next year. And look, Oregon had to have a new, whole new team because they lost, you know, four guys to the NBA. Washington, I, I think Hop's a really good hire. I mean, just for one year to go from the worst team in the league to being mid-pack in the league, um, Arizona State was disappointing, but maybe it's more – this is actually more of who they are, and they played above their level to start the year. Oregon State just pissed away way too many games, but they're actually pretty good. Like, And, you know, Cal was an abject disaster, but that's because Conzo left, and they hire Joaquin thinking they're going to keep all their guys and everybody leaves. Like, look, I'm not sitting here trying to defend the conference, but I think it'll be fine. I think it was a down year for the conference after having, what, four Sweet 16 teams last year and a team in the Final Four. The big thing is we generally judge conferences based upon their blue blood schools, and that's Arizona, UCLA, and maybe to a lesser extent Stanford. And Stanford might have been passed by Oregon. And because Stanford wasn't healthy to start the year, because UCLA has so many young players, and because of all the turmoil at Arizona, um, the league is viewed as massively down. And I think it's just a down year, but I don't think it's one to which you feel like uh, unless there's a coaching change at USC. But, like, look, USC's losing Metu, losing McLaughlin. They're going to lose a lot. Uh, but I would – I would, and then let's, let's see what happens at Arizona because right now they have no incoming recruiting class. Do you think he's yeah, coaching – Yeah, I mean, they've only got six guys on their roster for next year. Do you think – now, it's, it's different than it used to be because there's a lot of spring recruiting, late commits, transfers, blah, 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 blah. But do you think he's the coach at Arizona next year? I will say yes because they can't afford to fire him right now. And I don't know who's going to hire him. Like, if this if this latest ESPN thing, and we could get into the merits of what they reported and if it's logical or not, but at no point in time, I've known Sean a long time, would he have ever been the head coach of the Pitt Panthers? He would have left for Pitt a month, you know, if this was a month ago and you called Sean, would you go to Pitt? For the first time in his life, he probably would have said yes. Yeah. Now, it sounds like Pitt won't even consider him. No, I can't touch so it's him. just like, if he can't get Pitt, what could he get? And then, are they going to pay $10 million to fire him? I highly doubt it. All right, let's, uh, let's, let's, uh, let's get to a couple other things. Thad Mata decides to turn down Georgia. Does this mean Thad won't take a job, or he just didn't want the Georgia job? One thing with Thad is he's convinced he got fired at Ohio State because he wouldn't cheat. He's now interviewed for two SEC jobs. I don't see how that would work. And I think that that's kind of what it came into it is he's like, I'm not going to cheat. This is the SEC. Like, it's not going to work. Now, that might be right or wrong. Some people might have a problem with that. But I think that's really what his mindset is. But I do think he is interested in coaching. But he's getting paid for Ohio State for the next two years. Tubby Smith, by the way, was just fired by Memphis. Um so it'll be interesting to see. We're, we're on we're on penny watch, and I, I I actually think that's really good for the sport. I do just because Penny was such a, you know, Penny is one of those guys that that I don't think he ever was as good as we thought he could have been. 
Uh, but it, there's there's a Jalen Rose element to Penny where, and I think it's because, frankly, of Little Penny, and because he's playing early on with Shaq, uh, that that are he and Trace McGrady's kind of the same way, right? Great player. Was he as good as maybe he could have been? No, but he was still really, really talented. And so that type of name saying I want to be a part of college basketball is is big. Uh, let's all right. So let's let's go back to let's go back to Thad. So that I agree with you. Thad saying you know Thad not wanting to be a cheater, and Thad interviewing for SEC jobs. And there is the assumption that in order to get it done in the SEC, you got to do it a different way. At least got to operate in the gray area. So you know Pittsburgh. UConn, if they strike out on Danny Hurley, it does make sense. Yeah. Um, I don't. I don't know if they're interested in that. I don't know if he'd take it, but I think that's more a job that makes sense. But then again, does Thad want to take over in the 0 and 18 in the league program in the ACC? I don't know if he wants to do that. And he can afford to be really picky right now. You know, he just bought a house in Indianapolis. His youngest daughter's a freshman in high school. He's in no hurry to move his family. Yeah. But. If there's a perfect situation, he'll do it. What about Tom Crean? Where do you think he ultimately ends up? It won't be in the Midwest, I can tell you that much. Why is that? Um, It it got ugly at the end of Indiana. But but, but why? Because what happens, here's what happens. Nationally, (laughs) he's uh, he's done a great job of creating a different image with his work with Adrian Wojnarowski, with his work with ESPN, right? Like we so quickly forget. (laughs) And but for people who don't live in the Midwest as you do, don't know it as well as you do, what 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 went wrong? Tom has a very unique personality. He's very intense. He's very like man, I don't want to say controlling or manipulative, but he is involved in absolutely everything. He knows everything that's written about him. He knows everything that everybody says about him. And like he's having his SID call people about stories they've written. Like, no coach does that. And it just wore on people. Like, he meant in Indiana, coaches want to send their best players to Indiana, either AAU coaches or high school coaches. Right. They were actively not doing that in Indiana at the end of Tom's tenure just because he could grind on people so much. He recruits you so hard, so hard, you know, like really sells. And I think that can work in other areas, but it just didn't work in the Midwest. And then, quite honestly, every other coach hated him. So, like, every I, I don't other think, I don't think they hated him. I'll, I'll tell you, I'll tell you this. How big of a crazy man this guy is. I, yeah. And I, it's going to be tough to hire him. Here's, here's what, here's what, how, what my, talking to other Big Ten coaches, I thought initially they really didn't like him because he's, he was, he's kind of an oddball personality. And then many of them started to get to know him and understand that once you become kind of friendly with him, he's, he's, a, he's actually a good human being. Uh, is what they, that, this is what was told to me by Big Ten coaches. Uh, three of them actually, and they all kind of said the same thing. They said like his, but but he's one of those guys to which you'd play a game and you text him, and he'd text you for hours into the middle of the night about all the different things going wrong with his team or all the different things he's thinking, and you're just like, ugh, enough, right? So he, <laughs> yeah, he's just a, it's a different deal, but I do think that the power of ESPN kind of masks. A lot of that stuff. And, look, being away from it for a year, I don't know. I think ultimately he'll go back to being who he was. But I, I do think that a lot of these guys, it's good to get fired. It's good to catch your breath and go like, hey, you know, maybe I need to chill out a little bit. I don't know if he does. 
because we've kind of empowered him based upon how he's been covered and made out to be the savant after he leaves Indiana. Uh, but maybe it maybe it helps. A lot of these guys become puppy dogs when they get fired, and we see that they go back to the same uh, same type of leaders when they get their new job. All right, last thing. Um, who do you have in the Final Four? Um, I have – I'll still keep Virginia in there, even though – uh, the injury really kind of makes me worry, but I'll stick with my final four: Virginia, Xavier, Villanova, and Duke. Yeah, I, um, I have Villanova beating Virginia, so that's kind of that. But I just felt like the matchup that Xavier gets, there's no like guard that really gives them problems. Even though I don't trust Virginia until they get to the final four, I believe that they genuinely. I don't know that there's a team in their bracket that beats them. Villanova, I just don't think Purdue can beat Villanova. And then Duke, I think they got the most talent, so I'm going with the team with the most talent. Right, that's, that's always a, it's always a good way to go. And and uh, Mike Shashevsky, if he doesn't like the calls at halftime, he'll call the officials over, chastise them on <laughs> TV, and somehow it'll start to go his way in the second half. Right? That's that's kind of we've we've seen that that work. All right, listen, get back to watching the games. Follow him on Twitter at bsnow247. Because you can read his work on uh, 247sports.com. He's just a dude from Cincinnati who likes to cover ball and talk ball. And he joins us on All Ball. All right, let's welcome in John Crispin. You watch him on the Big Ten Network. He's their lead analyst. And, of course, you hear him on Westwood One, who's their lead studio analyst for the entire NCAA tournament. Uh, John, it's, it's not that I don't love your expertise about all of college basketball, but I love how the, the level of the depth of coverage that you guys are able to provide for the Big Ten. And those top three teams are really, really good. Um, so let's, let's, start, let's start with Michigan, because Michigan is a hot team. Everyone's talking about them. You've seen them evolve throughout the season. How good are they actually? Well, they've evolved because they've gotten better defensively. And it's not just that they've gotten better defensively. They've actually, their identity is rooted in their defense now. It used to be their identity was we're, we're a ball spacing, read-react type of offense. You're, we're hard to figure out, and five guys can make threes. Well, that's all great, but they didn't have a point guard to start the season. So what they had to do was be good on the defensive end, and once they figured that out, they were able to play a little bit more freely on the offensive end. But it's been defense. That defensive efficiency is higher than it's ever been for Michigan. And then on the offensive end, like I said, they still have weapons. If anything, they've got more with the young freshmen coming on, on now. Okay, so uh, you mentioned defense. And the defense that I saw at the Big Ten tournament, man-to-man, and what what anybody who knows ball is loading to the ball, right? You put the ball in the yep. deck, and they're coming in to, to dig that out. And the only way to beat it is to drive and kick or to move, really move the basketball. As you've talked about a lot, I think, in broadcast, they actually overhelp. But it's been really yeah. effective because they're actually they're pretty athletic at the point. Mo Wagner's and, and even his backup, pretty good at defending the rim. And then they got some they got some good athletes, better athletes on the perimeter than I think people thought coming into the season. Um, what's the type of team that gives them the most trouble? Like you have San Diego State or Houston. You got some other teams in that. What's the type of team you think gives them the most trouble? Well, I think a team that can obviously shoot from the perimeter, but also a team that can pass over the defense. Uh, one of their issues, and you talk about how they overhelp, it's true, but they do it so early in the process that they're in position. That's the difference. A lot of teams overhelp by running to the basketball, and, and it's not just a long closeout. It's a non-existent closeout at that point once it's a drive and kick. This team gets themselves in position, so they just negate that drive in the first place. 
if you could pass over the defense, you then are, are putting them into long closeout situations. So I think the team that can shoot from the perimeter, that, that actually can force you to close out hard, team that can pass over top of the defense with versatile guys around the perimeter, that's the type of team that can give them props. But it, it's not going to be the team that can just break you down off the dribble. That sounds easy, but it's easier said than done, especially when the guys are there in position and not just closing to the ball. All right, let's get to uh, let's get to Purdue. Um, Purdue, as you have pointed out to me time and again, they love to throw it in the post. I remember I was doing a tournament in Cancun two years ago when you know they had both they had both big guys. Or maybe it was last year, I can't remember. And uh, Matt Painter's like, you know, we lead the country in post touch in in, uh, in post catches. And but but you hate that, don't you? I do. I do. What message are you sending to the guards? Now, I understand that's part of who they are. It's part of who Purdue is. And I, and I think that's actually gotten them some of the players that they've got. Now, they also had this, this board where they tracked post feeds for guards, where they basically said, every time you feed the post, you get a point. Well, I, I don't like that. I don't think that's good messaging for the guards. And I think that's what forces you into some bad habits, bad habits that they had, particularly last year in the NCAA tournament which was just feed Biggie Swanigan. We can't get a shot, so let's just give it to the big guy. I think they're much better when they're outside in, meaning the guards are effective first, and then you allow that one-on-one opportunity in the post, as opposed to just feeding the post first play down floor and everyone's standing around watching, hoping Isaac Hodge dominates down low. Remember, Isaac Hodge is only going to play for 20 minutes anyway. guy averages 20 minutes a game. So you can't play that way. You've got to get rhythm going in the game by getting those guards going early. Um, I look and I, I look at Butler and I think you know Tyler Weidman obviously gives up probably thirty pounds and like five or six inches, but he's got long arms and big hands and at least he can be there and they can play man up. And then to, to me, Purdue's issues are not just sometimes when they get bogged down and trying to throw it inside to Haas and everything stops, but but at the defensive end, right? Like Dakota Mathias is a great kid and very good player, but he he can't guard Keelan Martin. Right. And then their guards, I don't care how tough and tenacious P.J. Thompson is, he's tiny. He's tiny, and he's thick in the middle, so he doesn't really move all that well. He's not going to climb into you defensively. Um, I look, and I think they got some defensive weaknesses, and I, if Butler can advance, I'm really cautious as to whether or not this Purdue team can even beat Butler. I don't have an issue with Butler. I really don't. I think, if anything, I would cover a guy like Isaac Toss with guards because I would force him to get a catch where I was okay with him getting the catch. And by guards, I mean 6'7", six, 6'8". Six, I, I, I wouldn't put big guys on Isaac Toss. I just wouldn't. I'm not concerned with him so long as I can dictate where he catches the basketball. Now, on the other end, Nogel Eastern has been a game-changer for Purdue on the defensive end because he can cover one through four. And I understand we talked about he's, he's a liability in many ways on the offensive end because he's not a threat, but he's tough on the offensive glass. And they use him as the initiator on the offensive end, which for them is, is not – I mean, you could have Isaac Cox initiate the offense. It's just kind of – I just run to the post and get a catch. But for them, having him initiate the offense and just get into the game on that end and attack the basket, make back cuts, attack the offensive glass, that's actually the team when they're at their best because when they played Penn State in the Big Ten tournament, Nogel Eastern did the job on Tony Carr. He was physically dominant in that game. So I, I think having him on the defensive end is a game changer because you don't have to put Vincent Edwards on the best player for 40 minutes. Yeah, the problem is that it it takes away the space. You know, So much of what they're able to do is because you have space. Now, look, once you get to the uh, NCAA tournament, 
maybe guys don't know how much Nogel Eastern struggles to shoot the ball. Although, True. watching his his free throw is akin to Charles Barkley's golf swing, right? There's that there's that <laughs> yeah. pronounced hitch in it, and I know he's shooting it better, right? And I know he's young, and they really like him, but there is a pronounced hitch to which you're like, if you're guarding him, and then he shoots the ball, you're like, what the hell am I guarding him for? That thing is yeah. awful looking. Um, so that that's my only thing with Nogel Eastern is it. You know, they're such an offense-heavy team. You bring in a guy that that's very good defensively, all of a sudden it becomes four-on-five on offense. So long as he gets out of the way, they're okay. Because I've seen him make back cut and stand on the opposite block, and it's driven me crazy. But he's gotten a lot better at just cutting and taking his player out of the game. And I, I think he has gotten much better to the point where he's not as much of a liability. And he's gotten inside the paint. He's finishing around the rim much better. So I do think he's made drastic improvements on the offensive end. I don't feel like it's four, uh, five on four at that point. I think he's made much, much more improvements than that. But yeah, the shot is a little suspect. All right, let's go to Michigan State. Um, you and I discussed them with your brother Joe, who's a, who's the head coach at Rowan, uh, Rowan College um, in in New York City. And I like, I like congruent offenses. I like your when your offensive style matches your defensive style, right? Like, if you're Virginia, if you're going to play, and they, they, they don't really play pack line, but if you're going to play tough physical defense and make a team drag out their percentages, uh, possessions offen- uh, defensively, then you got to do the same thing offensively. I like to, I feel like Michigan State, they play so fast, but, that, but then because they allow you to, you know, walk the ball up and grind them in the half court, even if they're very good defensively, I, I feel like they allow teams to set the tempo and yes. then, and then, like, look when you they you get the ball, they almost play schizophrenic. They're like, man, we've been playing defense so long, let's go and score really fast. And it, they play a little too fast offensively. I don't love their guards. And plus, if you're going to play three guards, now that means one of your three best players has to sit. If you're going to play uh, two guards, well, now all of a sudden that means that Miles Bridges at the three, he's not as much of a mismatch as he is when he's at the four. Like, they have really good pieces. I'm just not convinced they. One, the style is perfect, and then two, that the parts fit together. I think the style would be okay if you had more experienced players. And you you look at some of the experienced teams that they had, those guys understood what it took to win within that system. So it was physically win every battle, which you can't really play that way anymore. Also, execute on the offensive end better than anybody else because their transition immediately, if they don't get it, it doesn't really lead to much of a secondary. It leads to a reset. So it's transition, okay, nothing's there, reset, let's call a play. At that point, you've got to have that experienced guy or or multiple experienced players to know how to set a screen, to know how to get set, to know how to cut and look to score, to know how to make a read on those specific set options that they have. I think that's their issue. They don't have that. They're at their best when they're making runs because that's kind of how young teams are when they've got a ton of talent. They're just playing. They're finding rhythm in the game, and that's been their biggest issue. They have not been able to get into a consistent rhythm. When they do, they look like the best team in the country. When they don't, they look as beatable as the number seven team in the conference. And I think that's been the biggest challenge for Michigan State. All right, let's let's go to Ohio State, who um, had a surprising season and then kind of petered out a little bit at the end. They did beat Purdue at Purdue. Um, They beat Michigan State at, at home. And they take on South Dakota State, who has a very good player in Mike Dom, the dominator uh, of the, yeah. the Jackrabbits. Um, are they are they good? Did they feast on a bad league? Um, you know, Beta Kate Diop obviously had a resurgent season coming off of injury. What are your thoughts on Ohio State? 
Well, look, the, the foundational principles of basketball still work. I think that's the, that's the point with Ohio State. They, they play with simple basketball fundamentals. They space well. They share the basketball. They take care of it. They do everything well but nothing great. And I think as, as good as Kata Bates-Diop has been, he's still just kind of a self-starter. You don't really have to run anything for him. He's going to get his, but he's not the kind of player who's just going to take over a basketball game, mainly because that's not his personality. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's not his personality to, to demand the basketball. He's just going to go make a play happen. And I think he's won some games. You look at, at Purdue, he won that game by just getting after it and being a complimentary player, not a star. So I think that's a good thing about Ohio State, but at the same time, they have serious limitations. Uh, offensively, there's not much coming off the bench. Uh, when Caleb Weston's out, they're just not the same team because they are good when they can feed the ball into him in the post. I and mean, you go back to, to the Michigan State game, they actually looked to feed Caleb Weston. He was making plays, and he became part of the balance. And without that balance, they're just not as good. Now, defensively, they're going to be solid, but they're not going to do anything outside of themselves. And I think this is a, a South Dakota State team. As you said, they're, they're going to cause some problems. And Mike Dom, man. That dude knows how to relocate better than anybody else in the country. And by relocate, you know what I mean. Just He gets to the open spot, and he gets to a spot where he can get a shot, whether it be in the post, short corner, mid-range, foul line, three-point line. He knows where to get to get a look, and, and the guy can score. All right, so one through four, strongest likelihood of making it to the Final Four. I, I'm going to say one Michigan, just because I like how they defend and, you know, DeAndre Hunter out from for Virginia is is, is uh, excuse me I'm sorry and, I, and I'm looking I'm looking at uh, I'm looking Xavier uh, Xavier as good as they are I just have seen inconsistency scoring the basketball at times you see Xavier put up 95 points and you see him put up 65 points and I don't really understand that so I look at Michigan as the type of team that I don't see anyone in that in their and the, I'd say round 32 16 that gives me that much of a concern because of the inconsistency of North Carolina. Uh, I would say two, probably Purdue, uh, because I do think if Purdue can get on a roll, they can get through Villanova. As great as Villanova's been, they don't have the size. They really don't have the size. They would have to play a fast-paced game to get Purdue out. Three would be Michigan State. Obviously, uh, Michigan State, if they get on a roll, if they find rhythm, if they play as well as they could play, I think they're probably one or two in the country. For Ohio State, and Ohio State may have the pick of all picks in the 5-12 matchups. Uh, if I wasn't a Big Ten Network guy, I would probably be picking South Dakota State because it's a really bad draw. Great great stuff. Uh, listen, you can listen to John on Westwood One throughout the tournament. And, of course, uh, I think next time we'll have you on, I want memories of Penn State's run. People forget Penn State did actually make a run. That was back when John and Joe, uh, his brother Joe, were in the backcourt. For uh, Terry Dunn was your head coach, wasn't he? Jerry Dunn. Jerry Dunn. Terry's brother, Jerry. Terry and Jerry. Who does that to kids? Name one Terry, one Jerry. Can you imagine? Uh, I mean, I have I have three kids, and their names are not similar at all, and I screwed up. Can you imagine if the kids are Terry and Jerry? And they look exactly alike. They're identical twins. Yeah. Hey, look, they messed with us from time to time, and it was pretty hard to tell them apart. Uh, did you pick a Final Four? Did you do a bracket? Uh, I, I did a bracket. I think I had Arizona. I think I had Michigan. Well, I definitely had Arizona and Michigan on that side. Yep. Uh, I did have Michigan State, and I had Villanova. There you go. All right, so they won't fire you from the Big Ten Network. You still have your Homer underwear on, and you got yes. you got a couple other good teams. 
Uh, enjoy you know what? But I, I went home or underwear, but I actually think those are justifiable. I know. I'm not. I'm, I'm messing with you. I'm messing with you. All right. You got work to do. We appreciate you joining us. Okay, so you remember him as a, as a McDonald's All-American, everybody's All-American, one of the great players in the history of the Pac-10. Played at Stanford, first-round draft pick, and now works for us at Fox, covering college basketball. Casey Jacobson joins us. Okay, so let's, Case, let's let's dig into your, your two um, conferences of expertise. Uh, let's play into your wheelhouse. Let's let's start sure. with the, let's start with the Pac-12. Um, USC gets left out, but I think all of us would concede that the conference was down. Did, should that change how we look at Arizona and the fact that? They win the league, win the conference tournament, and like you know, sometimes the the view of the conference brings down the conference champion. What's your view of Arizona in relationship to the rest of the country? I still think Arizona should be uh, considered one of the most dangerous teams, a top ten team as we stand right now in the country. I go back maybe to last year, Gonzaga. Uh, played in a weak WCC, a mid-major conference, and had been knocking on the door for a Final Four for years with Mark Few. And they busted through and almost won a national title last year. So just because your conference isn't, um, you know, a a power conference or maybe the Pac-12 is down this year, it doesn't stack up to the ACC, the Big 12, or even the Big East. It doesn't mean that that one team, Arizona, uh, shouldn't be – um, considered a, a title contender. I do. I think the way that DeAndre Aiden is playing, he's getting better, Doug, which is crazy. Uh, he hadn't had a couple – he has not played more than two bad games all year, which is pretty remarkable uh, considering their schedule and how much they lean on him. Um, he has back-to-back career highs in the Pac-12 tournament, back-to-back 32-point games. Um, I don't understand why they don't throw him the ball every single time. And I say that a lot with, with really good big guys, but he is a very willing passer. It's one of the most underrated parts about DeAndre Ayton's game. I would have loved to have played with him. He's not that good of a screener, to be honest with you, yeah. but he's a very willing passer out of the post. Yeah, it's interesting. We had John Crispin on just moments ago in the pod, and he was he was talking about Purdue. They throw the ball inside too much, and I didn't want to get into back and forth. I, I don't think there is a too much just because it's like body blows to your to your defense. Um, look, the question for them is always whether they run into a pack line team like a Virginia who isn't going to have DeAndre Hunter or they run into a zone team, you know, can they shoot the ball well enough? And yeah. to that, I, I don't know. I, I don't think this team, I don't think this team defends at the level that other teams he's had defend. Uh, they rebound. Okay. Maybe not to the level. Other, now they do have. I mean, look, Raleigh Alkins moving at times to the four makes them crazy athletic. But they still have limitations in terms of they really have one consistent shooter, and that's Lonzo Trier. I, Parker Jackson Cartwright can make a shot or two, but he he's, he's just wants to set up the offense. I guess that becomes the question. Do they have the shooting to get to the Final Four? It, it is the question. It's been the question with Arizona seemingly uh, since I've become a broadcaster four years ago. Um, Arizona's always – um, you know, athletic. They always have a couple of NBA caliber players. Um, this team is no different. They struggle with zone. It's one of the reasons why they lost to Colorado, one of their first Pac-12 games of the year. They were seven for 25 from three in that game. And uh, that the overtime uh, game against UCLA, UCLA zoned them, and UCLA zone has been getting better, although they lost to St. Bonaventure, of course. But um, 
they will often settle for threes, especially Alonzo Trier. It drives me nuts about him. He's a fantastic scorer. What makes him such a dangerous scorer is when he starts driving the ball, getting to the foul line, and making plays for others. Sometimes Alonzo Trier sees a zone defense and says, okay, it's my time to start launching from deep. Um, and I wish they would fight against that. That's when they still need to go inside to Ristich and Aiden. And I want to see Alonzo Trier be the point person. Parker Jackson Carr is a good setup guy, but he's not an elite point guard, and he's not a guy that is going to get into the teeth of the defense on a regular basis. That is Alonzo Trier's job. And then Raleigh Alkins out in the open court can do the same thing, just not as good of a scorer as Alonzo is. All right, so with all that in mind, do you like him to go to the Final Four? So I don't have – I didn't pick him to go to the Final Four. I, I picked Virginia, despite the fact that Hunter uh, is hurt. I still think Virginia uh, is a nightmare matchup for Arizona because they still have Isaiah Wilkins, who to me is one of the better uh, post defenders that I have seen in college this year. And that includes Michigan State's front line of, of Nick Ward and Jaron Jackson Jr. Um, I, I do think that they can try and slow down uh, Arizona. I think this is Virginia's time, Doug. I, I got them going to the national championship game and losing, but this is a team to me – that has always been a boa constrictor on the defensive end, and they have timely shooting. Now they don't blow you away. They don't. They don't. Um, you know, they're not going to beat anybody by 20 points in this tournament. Maybe besides their first round matchup against UMBC. But when you get down six or eight points to Virginia, it's like being down, you know, 15 or 20 to somebody else. And then they can go to Ty Jerome. They can go to Kyle Guy or Devin Hall in the backcourt and get buckets. I really like Virginia. And maybe I'm talking myself into this because I really want to see Tony Bennett advance to his first Final Four because he's been a heck of a basketball coach throughout his entire career. But I got Virginia coming out of the South. All right, let's uh, let's go to that Big Ten uh, that, that you got a chance to cover for Fox. Michigan's the hot team. Michigan State's the team that on paper looks like they should get to a Final Four. And then you got Purdue that's, that can really, really shoot, shoot 42%. As a team, they have Ivan Drago of the Ivan Drago of basketball inside at, at center. If you had to pick one one of those teams to go to the Final Four, who would it be? I'm actually picking Purdue. Um, I don't have either one of them going to my Final Four, Doug. I actually have West Virginia and Duke beating both of the Big Ten teams in their respective brackets. But I think Purdue. I, I think Michigan State, uh, if they face Duke in the Sweet 16, which I don't see any reason why they shouldn't, um, they're not as athletic. They don't have quite enough shooting. Michigan State, what I do like about them, besides their defense, is the development of uh, Cassius Winston, their point guard. Um, fantastic uh, the way he's developed. He's become a lethal shooter, a really efficient point guard because he can pass, but you can't leave him open. So if you want to double-team Miles Bridges or, or Nick Ward down low, he can make you pay. Um, they're just so young, right? They start five uh, or four freshman and one sophomore um and i don't know if i, I if i trust them over a, a team like duke and purdue i love their balance doug i love the way they play inside and outside you said that uh you said that kristen said he, they'd throw the ball down to haas uh too much down low i don't see that when i watch them i, I see carson edwards when it's the nitty-gritty time when they need a bucket he knows he's very self-aware and realizes that he is the best scorer in crunch time uh, and the best creator of offense on the team. And uh, he's one of their young guys, too. So they can, they got Vincent Edwards now back healthy as well. Um, Dakota Mathias, uh, steady. 
uh, I, I was on FS1 Studio, Doug, when Purdue had their senior night, and Dakota Mathias was unguardable. I think he had eight three-pointers yeah, that night. Yeah, I did, so I did, I did that, that game. get I, a lot of uh, pub. He's, he's legit. No, I did, too. And, look, I, uh, I did that game on radio, and so I was there to see it, and I like Dakota a lot. My, my, issues, my issue with them is, you know, look, they got some defensive issues. Isaac Haas can't cover in the perimeter, and so many people have a stretch five. The two point guards, P.J. Thompson and Carson Edwards, are small. You can you can shoot over them. Tony Carr just you know wanted to isolate them, go one on one, and then the wings. Dakota McIsaac is a really good defender, but he's just not a great athlete. So if you can spread them out, you can attack the guys individually. Uh, they they got some issues there, and they they are a little bit three point dependent. They are a little bit three point heavy. So uh, let me uh, ask you this: If you had to go one, two, three, in order of most likely to least likely of the best of the three top teams in the uh, in the Big Ten. Who's most likely, who's least likely to make the Final Four? I think Purdue is most likely to make the Final Four um, out of the East region. I, I, I understand uh, your issues with them, but a lot of teams have those same exact issues. Sure. Um, I think it's, it's, it's matchups. Like Florida kind of has the same issues with you. They're, they're a Jekyll and Hyde team. And that's a team that Purdue is likely going to play uh, in the Sweet 16. They're small in the backcourt. They're very athletic. But when they're not making shots from the perimeter, they're pedestrian. Um, uh, I, Michigan State would be two on that list, and then Ohio State would be three. Ohio State's good. Ahead of, Michi- like, uh, ahead of Michigan? Good. Oh, yeah, sorry. I, I have Michigan advancing my Final Four. What am I talking about right now? You got me all locked in. Uh, bad, Michigan dude. number one. I'm go- I'm, I'm, let's backtrack, Doug. I have Michigan in my Final Four coming out of the West region. I actually love uh, Michigan and the way they're playing. Um, they play both ends of the floor. And, uh, of course, they do, do have weaknesses. But that when they're shooting well from the perimeter, they're fantastic. When they're not, they do do a nice job of getting into the paint. And John Beeline makes sure that those guys don't settle for threes too often. That's what I love about him as a coach. I feel like he's a guy that I would have loved to have played for. Reminds me a lot of my head coach at Stanford, Mike Montgomery. You guys ran all the sets. That he seen, I, Beeline kind of let them play a little bit more offensive. I can't imagine how many threes you would get up in that offense. All right, let's go to the Big East. Go to the Big East. I know Xavier got a one seed, but have they really played that well? No, they haven't. I'm surprised. And, you know, I work for Fox Sports 1, so we, we try to promote uh, the teams in our conference that deserve it. And Xavier certainly deserves some love. Um, but they got blown out, and I mean blown out twice by Villanova. And so they, Xavier won the Big East by themselves for the first time since the, since the new Big East uh, realigned. And good for them. But – they are not the best team in the conference, and they know that. They were the most consistent team, and let's give them credit for that. But they lost to Villanova two times by a combined total of 40 points. Um, I work with uh, Steve Lavin, former coach for St. John's, UCLA, every other team in America, right? And he is always constantly touting Xavier's depth, right? Um, they have some young players that are getting better. Um, Quentin Gooden is their sophomore point guard, who definitely was a question mark before the year started, has become less of a question mark and more that they depend on him. But guys like Kaiser Gates, a role player, a wing, versatile, has gotten better as well. But um, they play like eight legitimate players, Doug, and that's what Flavin's always saying. No other team has top to bottom, one through eight like Xavier does. And I always tell Lavin, I don't care. Like the, the best teams, Virginia, Duke, Purdue, they have six players. They have six good players. That's all you need in college basketball. Unless you have a season-ending injury, then we can talk about it. But when push comes to shove, I don't need nine guys to win a national title. 
Duke's got like five and a half players, and that's enough for me. I got Duke actually cutting down the nets. Yeah, Duke cutting down the nets. I like them because they, they got guys that get buckets. My, my question is with Trayvon Duval. Also, with I, their bench, like, look, I understand you do. You need a sixth or seventh guy just because you know how the, you know how the officiating gets super tight in, in the Final Four in the NCAA yeah. tournament, you know, and they're just they, – they, you go to that bench and, like, whoa, don't love it. Okay, so, so maybe the cutoff is, like, seven guys because you, you, your, your point is, is well taken. Uh, the fact that – remember when Duke won their national title in 2015? Well, a freshman named Grayson Allen at right. the time came off the bench and he had been averaging less than 15 minutes a game on the year and ended up being the difference maker in that game because a couple of guys got into foul trouble. So well, they also – somebody saying, got, somebody got yeah. kicked off the team. Who was it who got kicked off the team that year? Uh, um, uh, Solomon? Was it um, – yeah. Yeah. Uh, Russ, Rashid Solomon or something like that. He yes. ended up transferring to Maryland, I believe. Correct. And when he got kicked off, then Grayson started to play. And, yes, the problem is that with this roster, like I've seen Duke in person, and like Bagley, Grayson Allen, Gary Trent, Wendell Carter, like, dude, uh, you know, they they got to get minutes. Alex O'Connell's been better. Marcus Bolden's been okay at times. Um, so I guess they have seven, but eesh, it's – it's uh, you know, I mean, that's the real reason they went to a zone is because, hey, we yeah. go to a zone a little bit in the first half, stay out of foul trouble, make you shoot jump shots. Uh, we'll be the yeah. we'll be the better we'll be the better because of it. Uh, you, I, am I crazy to think Providence can beat North Carolina? And here's why: I know they only have one ball handler. Yeah. I, I know that not having Holt obviously changed their team for the worst. But I just I love their length. And I, they they'll put you in a kind of a meat grinder, and at the end of a at the end of a hard fought game against North Carolina, they're going to run their little flex cuts and their little sets, and North Carolina won't have seen them, doesn't have time to prepare. And I think Carolina's good, but I don't think that this is not a classic great. This is like one of the best jobs Roy Williams has ever done. When you're when you're at North Carolina and your best player or your leading scorer is a former walk on, like that is that's I just that, that's not that's not Carolina. Am I am I crazy? You're not crazy, but I'm not picking them, Doug. And and here's why: Providence is very limited offensively. Sure, they're they're a get after you on defense, tough-minded. Uh, Ed Cooley, their head coach, does a fantastic job. They they've made their fifth consecutive uh, NCAA tournament, and they don't have a ton of pros uh, throughout that program. And on this team, Tyron Cartwright. Uh, is basically their James Harden creator, especially in crunch time. Now, Rodney Bullock is their leading scorer, but he's a guy that really doesn't uh, create on his own. A guy to keep an eye on, though, for Providence, if they can pull off this upset, Doug, is Alpha Diallo. He's their sophomore wing, big body wing. He was so good in the Big East tournament and has been so much better in the second half of the season for them. He doesn't shoot a lot of threes, and he knows he's not a good three-point shooter, but he gets in. Uh, he, he's really good off curl screens, out in transition. He, he seeks contact and plays through it well. But offensively, look, I, I can't tell you how many times I've watched Providence, and they go through four- or five-minute stretches where they cannot score. And is, is North Carolina a team that will just blow you out? No, but – when I watch North Carolina, they have less of those moments. I don't know if it's because of Joel Berry and, and the combination of Joel Berry and Luke May are slightly better than Kyron Cartwright and Ron Bullock, but they have less of those moments, so I trust them more. Hmm. Uh, okay, uh, last thing. Chemezi Metu has made the decision to not play in the NIT because he wants to not risk injury and get ready for the NBA draft. Mm-hmm. 
You were an All-American in high school, an All-American in college. You were a first-round draft pick, and you covered the Suns in the NBA. Uh, what is your reaction to Chemezi Metu's uh, decision? I hate it, and I hate it a lot, Doug. Um, you know, like, you, know you, you committed to your team, your university, and I know people want to go to NFL, like Christian McCaffrey, for instance, Stanford guy. They didn't make a BCS bowl game his last year, and he decides to sit out. To me, that is so different. It's apples and oranges. Why? Because football is so physical. It's, it's the most physical thing besides rugby that you can play. I get it. But in basketball, look, man, I, I, would, I wouldn't even have thought twice about this. In fact, my dad, even though I would have been 21 years old at the time, would have driven up to Stanford and kicked my behind if I sat out of an NIT game just so I can start my prep. Um, it's, but then again, um, this is an individual choice. It's the same thing when people ask me about, hey, should this guy go to the NBA early? That's an individual choice. I would have never, ever made it. It's just not what I'm about. But uh, will, it, uh, you know, will it negatively affect his, his draft stock? I don't think so. Um, I don't know what, what your opinion on that is. If people will look at him a little bit sideways, like, like come on, man, really? You're not going to play in your NIT game just because you want to prepare for the draft? Like, what, what's just a couple more games? Yeah, you know, I, 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 yeah, I mean, like, like this whole – this is it's not football. The likelihood of injury is not great. You can – I know the guys don't play pickup the way we used to play pickup, but you can get hurt. You can very easily get hurt in, in a workout, mm-hmm. you know? But more than anything, yeah. like – Look, man, you're part of a team, and even if you don't like the NIT and you're mad you didn't make the NCAA tournament, your team decided to play. Like, we play, right? I mean, yeah. I mean, and I just I, – I don't – and, and I, I think my biggest issue, honestly, is with our fellow media members who are like, well, you know, especially former players, like, well, you know, I understand it. Like, the second that we make this okay – is we're just allowing players to kind of become entitled. And, oh, yeah, by the way, I would guess that he's gotten some advice from an agent. Hey, man, you've been playing well. You play well in the Pac-12 tournament. Shut it down. This is the big issue that that I don't think administrators understand is coming. If you allow agents to advise players legally while still in college, you're going to have guys that play well, and then they shut it down. That's what I, I would never do it, but they do advise players to do it. It's weird. I don't like it, Doug. And he actually he played well up until the championship game of the Pac-12 tournament. And when I watched that game, you can ask my uh, broadcasting partner, Kevin Burkhardt, at the time. I, I turned to him about halfway through the first half, Doug, and I said, Jemezi Metu is playing scared. He was scared of DeAndre Ayton. Uh, he wanted no part of it. In fact, he finished two for six from the field in that game. Um, you could tell early on that uh, he wasn't on the same level, not even in the same atmosphere. So, it actually would have been interesting to me to see maybe how he would have bounced back from that terrible game, probably the worst game that he had played all year, and maybe it dominated the NIT. That's how I would have looked at it as a player. Great stuff, dude. Hey, listen, uh, we'll do this again as the tournament rolls on. In the meantime, uh, get back to work, and uh, thanks so much for all you did on Fox Sports 1 earlier this year. My pleasure, Doug. Have a great week, man. All right, so that's the first installation of All Ball. If you like some of the hoop conversation, feel free to follow me on Twitter, tweet at me at Gottlieb Show. Follow me on Instagram, same thing, Gottlieb Show. I'll be doing Facebook Lives and Instagram Lives after college basketball games uh, take place on the, the four networks they take place on. If you have any questions, any comments, anyone you want to hear from, the general idea of this is right now we're going to cover the news stories, the games, whatever. 
as we get to kind of the lull between the NCAA tournament and the playoffs, we'll start to you'll start to get to know some of the personalities around the sport, and we'll have you'll just kind of be hopping in on conversations where we'll cover the big topics, but you also get to know all of these people because it, it, basketball really is kind of a family. And I've been around this thing my entire life, and you'd be amazed at some of these people's journeys to where they are as a coach, where they are as a commentator, where they are as a player, what they came from to where they are now, what their personal goals are. So it'll all be about basketball, college, pro, a little bit of high school and AAU, and hopefully you continue not only to download it, but to tell your friends to download it. In the meantime, I'm Doug Gottlieb. You've been listening to All Ball. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at AmericanExpress.com slash with Amex.